0: Yes, yes, welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show. It's time for questions from the audience from the Home Loan Expert.com studios. Today's edition of questions from the audience. The people have given a topic that they want to hear discussed, and so I shall. Nearly five years to the day of the 590, the man, 1380, the woman experience, I will tell some tales uh, that have never been told before as apparently there is an appetite for St. Louis sports radio stories, so I'm happy to share them. I've certainly been around plenty of them, and for the most part, uh, Doug, Martin, the cat, and myself uh, from The Morning Grind slash The Morning After have, for the most part, kept the stories inside the room. Now, of course, there are certainly uh, details that I will continue to keep uh, private, but this will certainly give you some background that I know hasn't been reported because it really kind of only involved my dealings, and uh, they were uh, it, it, certainly big parts of it because it was my company's contract with the station that was therefore dealing with everything uh, so nobody else would 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 be privy to these conversations and help explain all that happened so I suppose if're if you're if you're, if you're going into it. Hoping for like me just to like go scorched earth. It's just not necessarily what I am looking to do. I suppose, you know, if when somebody who has an audience uh were to fire shots uh and this person was credible, um then then I don't know if I would necessarily go scorched earth. They simply say, Well, this is this is not what you're saying is not true, uh, and here is here is why. But what I'm going to tell you is is true and in a lot of cases I have text messages and emails and and uh and it'll give you some background on the era that was uh the five ninety the man, thirteen eighty the woman and how CBS Sports nine twenty all came to be. If you want St. Louis Sports Talk radio stories, and apparently people do, I am happy to share them, although maybe this will curtail sales of my book that I feel like inevitably I should write. I've been told by so many people. I was told 11 years ago, and this was before the man and woman and all kinds of other bad crap things that I I should write a book. The problem is, I feel like if I write the book, it'll sound so asinine that people will think they're just made up stories. And so that's like the psychology of the whole thing. But maybe I should just write it and then at some point, you know, I'm dead and gone and somebody goes, oh my God, look at this. And then like my son can make some money off it. I don't know. But either way, that's what we'll talk about here. Uh, we're in the home loan com studios and uh, Ryan and I, Ryan Kelly and I were having a conversation about, uh, you know, the, the refinancing that's going on right now because uh, the uh, home values are super high and interest rates are still super low. And he said, what, what people don't realize is, yeah, I mean, sure. You can refinance and, and get into a 15 year and knock some, uh, you know, knock some years off your payments, of course, but the average household in America has $16,000 of credit card debt. And the system is set up such that it's very difficult to get out of that hole. But here in this climate with home values as high as they are and interest rates as low as they are, this is the perfect circumstance to get money out of your house, take that, pay off the credit card debt, and start clean. And of course, lower your payments because your interest rates are going to be so much lower. And you can do this and get the ball rolling by going to thehomeloanexpert.com. This is the move. I can't recommend it uh, enough to the audience. Uh, Ryan Kelly and his staff, just first class. He's a good guy. And this is a way to really help your financial situation. Go online at thehomeloanexpert.com. If you're buying a home, if you're refinancing, go to thehomeloanexpert.com, uh, our great studio sponsor here on the Tim McKernan Show. And also our uh, fine uh, sponsor on the program is James Carlton of the State Farm Insurance Agency in Webster Groves, James Carlton State Farm. Great guy who knows his business and who is growing because people are finding out about him and he's becoming synonymous with the show and then people will call 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net and they go, wow, I'm glad I found out about this guy. This is an experience that's saving me money and now I know... I really have an advocate. I like the term agent here because, um, you know, an agent is thought of in in sports circles, uh, broadcasting, acting, musicians, whatever the case might be, is being an advocate for the client. And that's what James Carlton is. Think of him as your advocate uh, when it comes to an important issue. I mean, you're talking about your biggest investment, your home, talking about car. Uh, You want somebody on your side who knows the business and who's going to be around for a long time. Uh, and James Carlton is that person 314-961-4800 to go online at uh carltoninsurance.net james carlton if your insurance costs you a leg and arm call james carlton state farm uh so the homeloneexpert.com james carlton state farm insurance agent and of course Johnny Landoff Chevrolet the sponsors of the Tim McKernan show on the Inside STL podcast network Johnny Landoff Chevrolet is it Uh, Washington Elizabeth exit on Highway 270, and you can find them 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, at Landoff.com. That is the place to go, Landoff.com. Gotten to know the Landoffs, think the world of them. Just got my wife's car from Johnny Landoff Chevrolet and recommend them wholeheartedly to our audience. So, the question was posed on the TMA fan page, and you can ask questions there. That's on Facebook. Type in TMA fan page. Click to join, and assuming you're not a bot, you will join uh, and get to see the fun and games that go on there daily. Uh, it's a great group, 6,500, 6,600 people, all real accounts. Don't accept bots. Kick out the bots when we find them or when people are using fake names. And, uh, or you can email me questions at teamakernan at insidestl.com. I like when you know maybe once a month or so somebody asks one where I can kind of go into a whole story, kind of like the Artie Lang thing uh, from May. Um, and the Artie Lang one is, is really just kind of, in my opinion, anyway, amusing. It also is, if you've listened, it's torturesome for me for, uh, the sliding doors moment that was me getting the phone call, but being trapped on the plane. Uh, and if not go back and listen, it's good entertainment, uh, with some big comedians involved with it with like Artie Lang and Gilbert Gottfried and Dice Clay and Jim Norton and Seinfeld, uh, David Tell, whatever—it's good stuff. Uh, Susie Esman from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, so, with with all that said, somebody on the fan page asked about the five ninety the man, thirteen eighty the woman thing, and how that all happened, and and, and understandably, so here's here's one of the things. Here's here's why I think when I go back. I, and I don't, I don't go back. I guess I'll accidentally hear a clip, like somebody will post a clip, and then I'll listen. And I hear me on the radio in the mid-2000s because uh, it seems like they're morning grind clips, and that was 2004 to 2006. And I just, I'm, I'm disgusted. Uh, I mean, just, it's like something was wrong with me. Uh, and I know I wasn't, like, on anything. I wasn't, like, drinking or doing drugs. I've never really done drugs at all. Smoked pot, but I'm talking about, like, white or something like that. It just, it just i don't i don't know what the hell i don't know how martin and the cat put up with me um because i listen i'm just like what a fucking asshole uh and then i think things changed i guess in 2007 with the morning after because i was i was running point on the show but way more so starting in 2010 because now inside stl was owning and operating the show. And so no. now I was way more cognizant of the business side and the elements of the business that required an understanding of so many moving parts that go into, just in this case, a radio station and or a radio show. And, then, and understandably, uh, when... The vast majority of people in the public think of a radio station, they think of the on-air talent, and that's where it stops and starts. And I get it. That's that's what I would think of. Uh, But the reality is that the radio station's success really is going to be determined by the sales staff. Um, Of course, you want to manage expenses, but if you don't have the engine that is the sales staff, I don't care what your lineup is, you're not going to be successful, and the thing will fail. People go, God, how did it fail? It had a great lineup. Well, it's because the lineup costs way too much money, and the sales staff wasn't able to generate enough revenue to offset the costs and make it profitable and or just have it operating at a loss, and owners over the years get tired of it, and they they bail. Uh, and so once you become aware of that, and then once you experience some of the things that uh, become social media firestorms uh, and or business dealings that are, are represented one way in the newspaper, but you know— you know for a fact, because you're involved, that what's being represented in the newspaper and therefore what the public thinks is the case is actually not the case. You become not only very sympathetic to when you read about other radio stations, certainly, um, but, but even like teams and coaches and managers and uh, general managers and owners and players, because, you know, they can't say anything. Uh, I guess like when I was doing the show with Jim Edmonds in 2014, and I'd ask him about something, and people are all fired up about it, and it's late April, and then Edmonds, you know, for my money anyway, a borderline Hall of Famer, uh, would go, yeah, I understand, but, you know, you just kind of kind of wait until October and see how it plays out, because unless you're in the room, you really don't know what's going on, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's 100% true, and you actually played the game, and might wind up in Cooperstown, and I got cut from the freshman team at St. Louis-Hugh High, but still I want to talk about it, and still it's wrong, even though what he just said you know is entirely true. If you're not in the room, you don't know. But then if, if we operated on that premise, we'd like have nothing to talk about. So unfortunately, it's it's essentially a business that's either, you know, filled with let's debate LeBron versus Michael Jordan or just speculative discussion that now, having kind of been on the other side of uh, of it, uh, I'm, I'm more sympathetic to it. I, like I said, I, I'm, I've, I've told the story before, and I realize the example is not the greatest example just because his tenure certainly was uh, not successful. But I knew Kim Anderson, saw Kim Anderson in an airport in Las Vegas. We were both on the same flight back to St. Louis. I hadn't seen him in nearly 20 years. And I said, man, people are really pulling for you. And this was before his first year, and people really were, well, were pulling for him. I think still people like him. Uh, just know that it didn't work out. And we were just BS and the flight was delayed. And I said, you know, the one thing that I've learned, you know, is, is you guys can't say anything. As And by you guys, I mean coaches. Like, if your player fucks up and gets, take your pick of whatever thing that would get in the paper and then make it look like you as the head coach have no control over him, which, of course, when it gets down to it, you really don't, you have to essentially eat shit publicly and you can't throw him under the bus. You can't. Now you can of course do it, but there are repercussions to doing it. You lose the locker room, you risk future recruits. And so you just have to kind of eat shit. And that's brutal. I've told the story uh, before on the radio with with Tony LaRusso's book, Three Nights in August. I was down there for all three nights in August. I was down there for almost every home game in 2003 when that book was, uh, what that book is about, August 2003. And I read that book, cocky son of a bitch, that I was and and probably am. And I'm like 26 years old and I'm going, oh, I can't wait to read this because I was there for all. And then I'm reading it and I get done reading it. Oh my God, I was there for it all and I didn't know any of this was going on. And it's not because I wasn't involved. I mean, I was in the clubhouse. Uh, but it's because so much is kept inside the room. And some of you may be listening going, Yeah, dipshit, I knew that. Um, but hey, I was there and I didn't think that way. And it's it's a weird thing. And I guess I guess, you know, like like I said, with with stuff going on with like the morning after a show that certainly gets written about a decent amount. And then sometimes, and I'm not saying it's done maliciously, just things are framed one way and they're just not true. And it's very, I can tell you this, and I hope that this is how it can resonate. Uh, Imagine you're dealing with a situation at work, wherever it is that you work. And and for the vast majority of you listening, they're not jobs that are going to be written about in a newspaper uh, or online. And you're dealing with it and you're trying to handle the, the situation But then somebody not only writes about it, but then writes incorrect information because they were either given incorrect information or they just didn't know some of the details because you yourself were like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make this public. And so not only are you dealing with the situation, but now it's in the public. And in most cases, and this is the thing that, you know, like, for example, with my dad, he's, I don't know, I don't know what. He said, "Timmy, I dealt with this kind of bullshit too. It's all. It's just part of. It's just part of having a job. It's part of a career." And I go, "I get it." And you're on, on what you just said there. If we isolate it, you're a hundred percent right. However, the difference for us, and especially in 2018, but this, was, this has been going on for years, is it's in the public eye. And here I am talking about or about to talk about the 590, the man, 1380, the woman thing, and. Uh, it's it's five years later. People asked me to talk about it five years later. And uh, there, there, there's a fascination with it. I think there's a fascination with it because of the way it's covered. It's covered TMZ-like. Uh, I've had a conversation with Dan Caesar. I've had a conversation with uh, people at the Post-Dispatch. And I've been told one of the reasons why we get covered is because, I don't remember what the term was, but there's an, there's an understanding that if, if it's written about with with our show or my name, it's going to get clicked on more often than if there's just like a story on horse rating race horse racing ratings or something. So that's the reason doesn't make it. You know, I, listen, I, I'd prefer nobody ever writes about me. Period. I, I totally disagree with the all publicity is good publicity or whatever that that saying is. Totally disagree with it because I've lived with both. So. That's the difference. And usually if you are getting written about, you're, you're either making so much money or so, so powerful that, you, that it doesn't impact you. But this is one of the few spots that it actually can impact your business. So if, you know, let's say Derek Gould writes a piece that's very critical of Mike Matheny – that's not going to impact whether or not he, he continues to be the manager of the Cardinals. If Mike Matheny wins games as the manager, that's what's going to dictate it. Well the radio, it's, you know, as I've said a number of times, people will go, Well, you know, that guy got fired, he got screwed over, and, and then I'll sit there and I'll go, God, it's so tempting to just go, well, you know what? The the guy had one sponsor and the station was losing, you know, a hundred grand a year in that time slot because of You know, and then people go, oh, I understand. But if you do that, then you're making private information public. It would explain everything immediately. It'd be like going to baseballreference.com, then talking about statistics, because those are the statistics that matter. But understandably, they're not in the public discourse because businesses keep advertising revenue private. Totally understand it. Not saying they shouldn't. But that is the reality of this business, which gets us to 2012 and how the man and woman thing came to pass. And it might even go back to 2011. Um, But for certain, yeah, I actually had to have, because I can picture uh, where I was when I was having at least one conversation. So I don't know how or why this was going on. I just know it was going on. And it's relevant uh, to the story. The... Majority partner of Grand Slam Sports was a gentleman by the name of Todd Robbins. And he uh, was frustrated by the station's problems. For whatever reason, he had reached out to me and said, and and like would give me the station's uh, numbers, the financials, and say, I want you to fix this, and I'm, we want you to be the person to do this. I've never run a radio station. Um, I have Inside STL, and that owns The Morning After, and at that time, I think we had the 1-3 to three show, if I'm not mistaken, with Jay Randolph Jr., Producer Joe, and Sarah Bruce. Uh, but for whatever reason, he thought that I could come in there and run. I said, okay, uh, we had owned programming before on 1380. I'm interested and then I recall having a conversation along the lines of, why don't, you know, we give you X amount of dollars for the time. That'll k- stop the bleeding. That way you're not cutting checks to keep the thing afloat. Uh, and, um, and then we take on the risk. But I was very confident we could make it profitable, assuming I'm not inheriting, which I wouldn't. I wouldn't take on bad contracts. And I don't know what the contract situation were. But that, that had to have started in 2011, because um, I was flying out and I was at a place called the Madison Club in Palm Springs. Uh, I understand that's where Phil Mickelson will like play and work on his game uh, during the winter. Now I wasn't playing golf at the time, uh, but I was out there with Joe Buck and I was out there with my wife and Joe had to MC a charity event the night before uh, for Ben Crane, the professional golfer. It um, was... Sick event. I, I I remember being there and being like, what in the hell are we doing here? We just wore jeans and I wore my beat up green cardinal cap. Just Joe's like, yeah, I got to do this dinner. Just go with And so Anna Marie and I go and we go, and it's in Palm Springs in January. And so you have like John Elway, Mary Hart, Tony Robbins, Glenn Fry, may you rest in peace, of the Eagles is performing a private concert. Uh, it, it, it just, you know, Pat Perez, I remember, was at our table. The golfer, Stuart Sink, was there. It, I just didn't belong. I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable at the St. Gabriel school picnic and the, in the cracker barrel and Fenton. And that's kind of, that's my, those are, those are my, those are my travels. Uh, so I, the next day, Joe played in the golf tournament for a uh, charity event. And then we flew uh, to Santa Monica to meet with Kevin Demoff's father, Marvin Demoff, Joe's agent about the podcast Joe and I were working on. And I recall, standing at the pool at the Madison club by myself on the phone with Todd. And he was just really pushing for me to either try to buy the station, buy a part of the station, or come up with an idea to operate the station. I remember thinking to myself, you know, why is it my responsibility to come up with the idea to save the business that I have, you know, I, I, I have no ownership shares in this business whatsoever, you know, if you want to put something on the table, we can work out a deal, but it was it, 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 it an odd thing. I mean, it just, you know, again, let's, let's talk non-radio. Let's say somebody approaches you in your particular field and you sit down and you meet, and we met a number of times and they say, I really want you here. Now come up with what you're going to do and uh, come up with your uh, compensation and, uh, and and then we'll see if it makes sense on our end. And you're going, well, hold on a second. You're the one who called me. You know, shouldn't you have? But that that's what it was. And it went on for a long time. I mean, I, like I said, this is, this is 2011. Uh, and it went on. It had to have gone on all throughout 2000. Yeah, definitely. Now I remember. Now I remember the first time we met. We met in Las Vegas, actually. Um, and And it went on all the way through 2012. And had something been put on the table in some capacity, we probably would have been able to do it. Would have been comfortable doing it. Uh, but nothing ever was. And, and the situation, I guess, at the radio station was getting dire. I don't know. But we're now into 2013. So, I mean, this is a year. Because that was January 2012. But the stuff started in December 2011. The Las Vegas thing, I can remember. Because it was a Jay-Z Kanye West concert. This is all random. It's all coming back to me. Celine Dion. So... I get word uh, we're trying to get a deal done. And what we were going to try to do was what they call an LMA of the radio station. And what that essentially means we're going to lease the time with the option to buy it. And, and again, the goal being, and and this wasn't me doing this on my own. uh, If there's one thing I'll take credit for, it's, making sure well being well aware that I don't know plenty of things and therefore trying to uh surround myself with the best possible people for those respective elements of of a decision uh and then get their feedback before making a move because I know I you know I know I don't know what I'm doing so i mean we you know i, I recall the meeting and um you know for, for the sake of you know, there's no need to go into the details of who is at the meeting. Many of the people you, you wouldn't know, some of the people you wouldn't know, uh, with a proposal to LMA, KFNS. This is in either January or February of 2013. And, and it was essentially going to give the owners of KFNS X amount of dollars to own the airtime. We would take on all of the risk of the day-to-day expenses, but then we also had the reward. I mean, if you're going to take all the risk, then you get the reward. That's, that's again, that's not radio. That's any business. And for some reason, that was viewed as an asinine proposal. I mean, we, we thought we might have gone in too high. We thought our proposal was so good. But for some reason, it was viewed as an asinine proposal. And... I recall the day after the meeting, getting on the phone with Todd, who I had a good relationship with at the time, and I said, I thought you wanted this, we gave you this, but now you're saying it needs to be that, and I I can still picture where I was in my office when I heard him say, well, I'm not telling you, it's not a moving target, and I'm going, well, then, you know, I mean, what are we, what are we doing here? Well, the reason it became a moving target is because Dan Marshall, for whatever reason, wanted to own and operate KFNS, And I believe, as is the case with many deals, what separated Dan's offer from our offer was how much money he was willing to put in up front. And it's That's that's business, and that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you know, having a ballpark idea of what the figures were, I mean, we wouldn't even have entertained that. Because we had an idea of what the value of the radio station was. So what he was putting in to not even have 100% of the radio station was, you know, we're just like, okay, whatever. Now, it had had come to my attention at the end of the meeting. This was kind of a funny thing. I always look back on this and and laugh. One of the people who was one of the investors in KFNS. Said something along the lines of, and and I I think he was saying it as a threat. Uh, one of my advisors who was in the meeting thinks he was saying because he was concerned. I still think it was a threat, or just to let me know that they know my contract status, and that is that I believe they had a ninety day out on Inside STL's agreement with KFNS uh, for owning the airtime from seven to ten. Uh, where the morning after, of course, ran. And at the end, we're wrapping up, and he goes, hey, in your contract, you have a 90-day out that we can, we can terminate it. You just have a 90-day out, and you know, we either have to let you stay on for 90 days or we have to cut you a check for X amount of dollars. And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, that's what I thought. And I remember walking, and we walked next door to like get coffee or something after the meeting and talked about it. And I remember you know, a couple of the guys uh, were accountants who were with me Saying, boy, they're worried. They're, they know you have a 90-day I said, I don't think that's what that was. I think that was that their way of saying, we know we can get rid of you, and we want you to know we can get rid of you unless you come to the table with a better offer. And I guess the—well, I, I think it's fair to say now, even if I got these guys in the room who were in that meeting, uh, that there were a number of mistakes they made. Uh, but one of the mistakes they made then was— Um, being under the impression that if they forced me to do something that I would accept it. That, of course, was not true, and our actions as the year uh, proceeded uh, not only proved them to be wrong, but then put them out of business. So uh, that wasn't played real well. So it it came to my attention... That uh, they were going to do this deal uh, with Dan Marshall and he was going to do a completely different format called The Man and the Woman. And, and I honestly, when I heard about it, I thought it was a joke uh, because it sounded like, it sounded like kind of like something like, like Saturday Night Live was doing a skit. Like it's so like over the top, ridiculous that it can't be real. But I had never met Dan. I had never talked to him on the phone. I didn't know anything about him. And it also came to my attention that he wanted to uh, move the morning after from its time slot of 7 to 10 to right after uh, the show he wanted to put on, Bubba the Love Sponge, Uh, which would air until 9 a.m., and then we would come on. Now, unfortunately, because you can't put the genie back in the bottle, I'm sure plenty of you are listening to this and going, I thought you guys got fired, and that's not what happened. Uh, Dan wanted us to stay at the station. He just wanted us to start at 9 o'clock, and he also wanted to have Doug, the cat, and myself combine with Frank Cusimano and go from like nine until noon or 1 PM, the four of us. And I think if you're listening to this, you must care about St. Louis sports radio. I think, I think you would agree that putting Frank on the morning after completely changes the morning after and putting the three of us on the press box completely destroys the press box. So that was an issue. Uh, And I recall getting on the phone with Dan for the first time uh, and uh, um, I guess what I thought was a mutual friend put us on the phone and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, this is, I mean, I can, again, it's weird. My memory's so bizarre. Uh, I can picture where I was in my house when I'm having this conversation and I remember I was by myself and I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, but I had no, I had nothing against him. I had nothing against him. Uh, so I remember getting off the phone going, oh, my God, this is going to be a disaster. He's going to lose a lot of money on this because I can tell he doesn't. There's just a variety of things. Talk about ratings. If you talk about ratings in KFNS, you're automatically going to lose. I can just tell you that. That's the way that it works. I understand most of you probably wouldn't understand why, but just I guarantee you people in St. Louis Radio know you can put – Pick your five favorite shows in St. Louis radio. Put them on KFNS. It's still not going to matter ratings-wise. You can pick five horrible shows and put them on a huge FM signal, and it's going to get ratings. That's the way the business works. At this moment, it's probably changing quite a bit, especially with podcasting. But I digress. He was talking about ratings, and he said, and then the great thing is, uh, you'll have Bubba leading into you, and so your ratings will increase. And I'm going, oh my god, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. So I got off the phone and I called our mutual friend and I said, listen, I know you're, you're friends with him. So, so I want you, he goes, I'm not friends with him. I didn't know him. And I go, okay, well, if you want to save him from doing something that is, is real, it's, I mean, not only is the idea bad, but he doesn't understand the business. So the idea is bad and he doesn't understand the business. He's going to lose a lot of money. So just like a human being, even if you're not friends with him, you need to talk him off this because he's about to make a big, big investment and lose. Uh, and, and and, and, you know, from my standpoint, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't care, but I knew we were going to, I knew the show was going to be fine because the show is the thing that the world, if I, I announced that the radio show is going to another radio station Today, people would go, okay, which station? And then they'd be, oh, it's funny you guys are on your thirtieth radio station. I go, yeah, it's funny, okay, but we're still together after fourteen years. That's funny too. Uh, I wouldn't care. And the audience really, the, the content is what people follow, not the station. That's that's reality. So if you're if you're caught up in that, you know that's 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 going to lead you down a, a bad path as well. So yeah, I'm not going to let him know that it's his own thing. He wants to do it. It's fine. So okay, so he proceeds with it. Uh, Dan and I met at his office. I remember taking a picture of it and posting it on Facebook so people knew that we were meeting. I wanted to be able to prove it, um, and his goal was to try to keep us. Now, unfortunately, Dan Caesar wrote that he was firing us, and as I said, once the genie's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. To this day, I'm sure plenty of people still think the morning after was fired from kf Uh, and if you think it's fine, it's like, there's still people who think I was fired from KMOV. It used to bother me. Now I'm kind of like, all right, if you really think that be my guest, you know, I know the truth. I can't do anything about it. No matter what I say, you're going to think what you're going to think. But he was trying to, the reason I was meeting in his office was he was trying to keep us from nine to one. Uh, and I'm just like, you know, and here's what I, as I'm talking, I'm remembering things. I didn't even like advance it. It was kind of like I'm politely sitting there and participating in the conversation passively because I knew that the business was not going to work. I knew that we had to go somewhere else. And if we stayed, even if it allowed us to make the same amount of money we were making or even more, uh, because he certainly threw money around initially, it it didn't matter because it wasn't going to be around in a year. So you have to think, you know, down the road, this, and it's not really wizard-like advice I'm imparting here. This is just, you know, I, we were on the Titanic, and I needed to find one of the lifeboats and get us all into one of those and get away from this thing before it pulled us down. That was the thought process. Uh, because we were dealing with someone who was certain he had come up with the next great thing, was not interested in listening to a dissenting opinion. I don't think dissenting opinions would have been welcomed anyway. And and you had a lot of people there who, unfortunately, weren't going to be able to get jobs at other radio stations, and so they had to be all in and had to hope it worked. And that was the reality of it. Fortunately for us, we had options. Um, but then it became clear to Dan that we were not going to stay um and I tried to handle it politely but when the, when Dan Caesar had written in the newspaper that uh w- we were fired and I knew that wasn't true and then Dan Marshall was quoted as saying our ratings were terrible uh I I'm just like you got to be I mean that, that that's the only time been doing radio since 2002 in St. Louis. It's the only time that I can recall anyway. I mean if you listen to that clip, I'm like I'm screaming so loud on the air that my voice is like trembling. I'm so fucking pissed off. You want to you want to put Bubba the Love Sponge on and change the name of the station to 590 the man and 1380 the woman. I think it's a horrible idea, but it's your money and it's your business and God bless America. You do what you want to do. That's fine. It's my responsibility uh, to find the next home for this show. And if you're right, the market will prove you're right. And if you're wrong, the market will prove you're wrong. And if I'm right on TMA, the market will prove I'm right. And if I'm wrong, the market will prove me wrong. So that can all be settled. But when you're saying things that are factually untrue, and I don't get an opportunity to refute them, and that impacts our business, because people don't have access to the ratings. And I know that the ratings are relevant. I also knew that the morning after, even though the ratings are shitty on every show on KFNS, because ratings don't matter to KFNS because uh, we don't sell the ad agencies and the ad agencies are the ones that buys ratings and it gets into this whole into the weed stuff. But this is the reason why for the purpose of the discussion, uh, our, our, our clients are usually local direct who get a return on their investment. And that's all they give a shit about. If we're on an FM station, we got to care about ratings. There's my nutshell version of why. But if you're going to say our ratings are bad in the newspaper and it goes unchecked, then they can get entered into people's mind because they don't know any better that the ratings are bad on the show. And that means the show must be failing. And about two months earlier, a month earlier, Dan Caesar had written an article and it's the last time, by the way, you've seen him write anything about ratings, uh, in KFNS, because we have since proven that ratings don't mean a fucking thing. Like I said back then, Frank opinion has been saying that forever as well. Uh, that, that the ratings were down and maybe sports talk radio in St. Louis was, it's just like, Oh God, there's a thousand people meters for 3 million people. It's an inexact science. Everybody in radio knows it, but we just know we have to play with this inexact science. It's like being a figure skater and being subject to the biases of the judges from Russia. You know, you just kind of deal with the system. That's why I like this situation better. If we provide a return of investment for our clients. They don't give a shit what the ratings are or what they aren't. Are. I have no idea what the ratings are and I own the damn show. So the point is, it all fed into this narrative about ratings, which we knew was bullshit, but Dan was running with. And so I get on the air that morning, and I am like, I'm I'm dead serious. I can take myself back there five years ago, and I'm so fucking pissed off because this can impact our business, which means it impacts me and my wife, but it also impacts Jim Hayes and his wife and his son and Doug Vaughn and his wife and his sons and... Producer Joe and Joe Roderick and Iggy and Matt Stedman, our board operator, and anybody affiliated who received their paycheck from inside STL. I'm no hero. This is what I think. I think any business owner would be thinking this way. You just lied and it might fuck up people's incomes. Now we got a problem. You want to you, you make bad decisions on your business, be my guest, we'll be fine. I was very confident on that. But you want to say something that's going to fuck with our business, now we got a problem. And that's kind of how I draw the line on, okay, you say our show sucks, great, whatever. You say our show sucks because it loses a bunch of money. Well, now you're making something up, and now we got to talk about it. So I lost my shit on the radio. It was probably March or April of 2013, Buck Swope will probably find the segment. It's it, 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 it's it's something else. I, you won't even recognize my voice. Um uh, Dan Marshall petrified uh hearing me losing my shit like this. Uh calls into the radio show. He calls into the radio show and claims he was misquoted. And Dan Caesar, who to this day I still have a good relationship with, I certainly disagree with some of the things that he has written because I know that some of them are factually inaccurate, and I'm not saying he's intentionally putting in there. I think he gets fed things by certain people, uh, and then that leads to to bullshit either being written or narratives forming. But, you know, I can only do what I can do, which is just either keep shit to myself or state the truth and try and stay away from it. But with that all said, I've had a good relationship with him. I continue to have a good relationship with him. Um, uh, and I, th- there have been times where, um, I felt like something was either misconstrued, misquoted, whatever the case might be. And I made, I made a huge mistake here. I really regret this. This is a hundred percent on me, uh, that Marshall calls in and says this stuff saying he was misquoted. And at that point, I shouldn't have then launched into Dan Caesar. I should have, if I really would have been thinking Again, you're doing this, you're live on the air, so it's, you know, easy to Monday morning quarterback, but still I got to know. I mean, it's my responsibility. Uh, I should have taken a break and reached out to Dan Caesar and and allowed him really to have the same form that Dan had. Because I did talk with Dan Caesar later on after the show, and he said what Dan Marshall said was just 100% false. And he said, I even think I have the recording of him saying what he is quoted as saying, which is your show has bad ratings, and that's why they're making the change, which Marshall said he was misquoted by. And so that was really the 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 shot heard around the world that he then knew that there was no way we were sticking around. And by that, I mean Dan Marshall. And so now you have this weird spot that uh, my contract calls for. They're welcome to terminate the contract, but they have to either cut a check to Inside STL for a Substantial amount of money, uh, and I'm not saying that in parties in the park reasoning. You know, I'm saying it to convey that it wasn't like a check for pick whichever immaterial dollar figure you'd want to think of. I, I don't think I can win by giving the dollar figure here, uh, but it was it would it would be it would be I don't think too many places would say it's immaterial. It's material. Uh, so and I was like, God, please cut that check. I'll jet to Italy with my wife for a couple months, um, or They had to let us stay on the air for either 90 or 120 days. I think it might have been 90 days uh, to fill out our obligations to our advertisers. And he wasn't going to cut that check. And so now you have this incredibly awkward spot of we're in there every day doing our show. Our audience is beside themselves and our audience while it was fortunately large then because it allowed us to, to do what we eventually did, which is really the the final chapter of this story. Uh, fortunately, uh, it was big then, but what it's turned into since then, and I actually think this, this whole thing in 2013 is the thing that put us more on the map. Uh, I feel like that's when the thing really kind of grew that combined with podcasting is what I think really led to the thing grow into what it's become. Uh, our audience is furious. They're making fun of the thing all the time. They're trying to, to get me to say something. But the whole time, I know that if I say something, and if I say something negative that he wanted me to breach my contract so then that way he could get us out of there right away and not have this awkward spot of us doing the show, this popular show that the market is going, what the hell is he doing? And replacing that with a syndicated show out of Tampa And, 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 and he's got to put up with it for the next three months. Meanwhile, he knows I am, whatever I'm doing, I'm not going to publicize it until it's done. It's signed. I am creating a completely new radio station that is going to be his competition. I mean, what a weird spot, but that's what the contract called for. Now he could have, again, looking back with hindsight, and I don't know how much cash he was looking to spend. He could have cut the check and really, that probably would have been the better play, would have had better value on that than letting us play it out, uh, knowing what the dollar figure was, and, of course, knowing what wound up happening. That would have put the onus on me. But I had 90 days to talk with a number of radio stations, both FMs uh, owned by a variety, some of which uh, you could probably guess, some of which you'd probably be surprised by, uh, and uh, multiple AMs, which allowed us, because we had a commodity they were interested in, to field the best offer. And it went on for a number of uh, weeks. And in the meantime, from my money, my favorite segment in the history of the morning after was a segment that we weren't even participating in. And that was the famous press conference in which Dan Marshall and Todd Robbins sat there for whatever reason held a press conference And then made references to the World War II recovery uh, program in Europe, known as the Marshall Plan, and said a variety of things like uh, we're going to do a charity show on the weekend. Not sure what we're going to call it yet. Something like giving back to the community, charity radio show for the times that we haven't sold and give back to the community and stuff. And you're going, and and the four of us, Doug, the cat, producer Joe, and myself, this is not an exaggeration. As this was going on, We are in the studio. And fortunately, they did this. I think they did it to try to piss us off. They did it at 9 o'clock during our show. Um, But what he didn't realize was I owned the time, by I, I mean inside STL, from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. And so, therefore, this moronic press conference became inside STL's property and still is and And the four of us, I swear to you, I can picture i can I can still picture Doug's face, uh Doug going on one of those laughing fits that you will ever, every once in a while, the cat, like with tears in his eyes, and I'm not exaggerating this. producer Joe and I pissed ourselves. We were laughing so hard during this thing because it was such it was the greatest form of unintentional comedy I've ever heard on radio, and really our show is is made up of unintentional comedy. And now we have this unintentional comedy and we, and, and there was a, there was a fax left out on the printer that Joe had gotten a hold of producer Joe. And it was a memo to the staff. And this is real. I, this is again, this is why I hesitate to write a book because people say, Oh, you just don't like these people. So you're going to make things up. And I really just, I don't care. They're kind of, you know, as I've said before we, 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 beat a 16 seat. You don't rush the floor when you beat a 16 seat. Uh, but, Joe went to get emails and on the printer was a memo to the staff and the memo to the staff was do not park in the parking lot today or tomorrow, I guess, when the press conference was going to be because we want TV stations to be able to have room for their satellite trucks as if television stations were going to cover this press conference on an AM radio station making a format change. And we were just like, this can't be real. Like, is this like kind of like a, but as we got to know the people involved, we're like, wow, this is really like a serious thing. This guy really thinks. And so I remember them setting up like three rows of chairs and one reporter from the Ledoux patch came by to get cookies and like the, the orange drink that they set out. And then the rest of the people standing, there were all staff. And I remember poor Frank Cusimano getting called up to speak during the press conference. And he looked like, it looked like a hostage video and he didn't know what to say. Frank knew. And I knew that we were trying to get out of there, but he had to play along with the whole thing. And he knew it was a horrible idea, but he, you know, you know, Frank, he's not going to say that, nor would I. Uh, and, 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 and he has to issue this statement, like how excited he is for this thing to turn around all while I'm knowing Frank's leaving with me here in a, in a month. Um, And, and so throughout the press conference, they, they made veiled references to the morning show, but they didn't want to talk about it because they knew the morning show was like the focal point, like, what the hell are you doing? You have this show, it's been on for close to 10 years. It's popular. Why are you not? you know, trying to do everything you can to keep it. And what in the hell is the deal with this bubble love sponge thing? So because it's awkward that we're in there doing our show, Marshall then does everything he can to try and get me to lose my shit while on the air. So then that way he could say I breached the contract. And so what he started doing was he would send me emails, which I still have, um, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the email server he used or something, but the, it lacks, the emails would lack uh, periods and, and commas and capitalization. And, uh, and so you have to like kind of like use a decoder, and it, it'd be like threats, you know, and like calling me names. And he would send them at 815 while we're in the middle of the show, which, you know, I, I get what the strategy was uh, when uh, KFNS in 2007, well, 2006 is when Martin quit. Then they fired the cat in 2007 and then paired me with Bob Fesco and it was a disaster. And then I had a contract for another like year or two and they're like, oh my God, we're stuck with this contract and we've made horrible mistakes. The show is a disaster. It's costing us a lot of money. We got to get him to quit. Uh, Jason Barrett and management at KFNS did a bunch of things to try to get me to quit. So they would then get themselves away from the contract. But when you know what your opponent across the table is attempting to do and they're also not necessarily savvy it's kind of easy to just go okay i'm coming in today and i'm just going to take whatever they throw at me and then i'm going to go home and i'm not going to breach the contract uh and so i had been through it before unfortunately i was going through it again six years later and i'm just like yeah i'm not gonna let this guy get to me now joe roderick had replaced producer joe uh because producer joe left uh the the business and he left the business perfect timing before this stuff started. He just knew he wanted to get away from it. And Roderick had been brokering time, I guess on 1380 or something like that. And Marshall claimed he owed the station money. Roderick insisted he didn't. Well, in an attempt to put me on tilt and Joe Roderick being the collateral damage of the whole thing, uh, Marshall banned him from the building. That would be the equivalent of now with The Morning After, uh, John Seymour being banned from the building. He was our producer. He was the organizer of the show. And now Roderick's banned from the building. Uh, and I know that that was done not because of Joe Roderick and collections. There were plenty of people who owed that station money. It was done to try and get me to lose my shit. And then I would say something. And then he could say, oh, you breached your contract. You're out. And then put blah the Love Sponge on. But that didn't work. So when that didn't work, then they uh, then Bubba the Love Sponge would have his audience call into the show and try to get put on the air to then, like, say stuff to get us pissed off. This really happened. I know some of you might be listening and going, this is this can't be real, but this is what happened. This is really what happened. But I didn't talk about it because if I talked about it, then they would have said you breached the contract and then we wouldn't have uh, been doing the show. And then Doug, the cat, me, producer Joe, I guess Roderick in this case, Stedman. Uh, I feel like I'm leaving the people at inside STL are sales that they would not have been able to keep collect paychecks uh, because we wouldn't have a show until we were at our new place. So that's what's going on. I and mean, that's why this is, this is, you know, I mean, it's funny because you look back on it and you, God, just how dumb this was. But at the time it was serious because people's jobs were on the line and you knew what was being done was malicious and for no real good reason, by the way, but whatever. Uh, and so, so then Bubba, the love sponge calls and he demands to be put on the radio and he plays his call into the show live. And I guess Rod, this was before Roderick was banned from the building. I have my chronology messed up, but either way, uh, Roderick says, I'm not going to go on. Uh, and he says, well, too late. You're already on my show. And so then that got played. And then they called Dan Marshall and then Dan Marshall rips us. And then that becomes a whole thing. Uh, and understandably people are titillated by this and reading about it in the newspaper because they're like, what kind of fucking operation is this where this stuff is going on? But it was really going on. And the whole time I'm just, I, I think I would always, and if you ever, if you ever just read this quote from me, you know, I have a whole lot more to say. I'm just not going to say it. I think I would say we're just focused on our show and what we're doing at Inside STL and we wish them the best of luck. That is, that is my way you know to say, yeah, good luck, uh, but without saying it. You know, in other words, you know, go fuck yourself. But you know, I got to, I got I to gotta play the game. So that's what I just would continue to say. And Caesar would be like, God, I'm, how come you're not going to respond? I'm not going to respond because I know what they're trying to do, and I'm not going to respond to Bubba the Love Sponge because I know what he's doing. It's a, it's a very, you know, it's like a 1980s radio tactic. You come into a market. And then you cause shit with the show that has an audience and then the show takes the bait and now you got an audience because they're paying attention to what you say. You just ignore it. Now, like if Howard Stern started talking about the morning after, I would soak that up for as much as possible because he's got an audience, but I'm not going to punch down. So we just ignore this shit. I've been ignoring this kind of shit for years. I'm aware of it. You just ignore it because it's hacked. So they there? And then he was doing the same thing with uh, Woody's show over on 105.7, uh, Woody and Rizzuto. At the time, Woody was still in the market. And I remember talking with uh, their program director, and he goes, yeah, they got our, they're calling our show, and Woody wants to address it. And I told him, don't address it because you know what he's doing. Don't give them the attention that they want. And so that went on. Meanwhile, this was, this was 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. every day, and it's just like navigating the channel, doing the thing, fulfilling our contract, and getting the hell out of there. Meanwhile, however, I'm working on our next place, and um, I'm not going to—it wouldn't excite you anyway. It's irrelevant, but just for the purpose of the story, I'm not going to name the station where I thought we were going. I thought we had—well, I guess we actually—I thought I was told we had a done deal, one that was an FM. Uh, Then there was an AM that thought we had a deal, and then all of a sudden there was an evening, I guess it was either in late May or early June 2013— where the deal that I thought I had had got blown up. I still don't know why. I think it was another moving target. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. And so I circled back with one of the few uh, honorable people at that time I had met in radio, uh, a gentleman by the name of Bert Kaufman, who owned WGNU 920, Uh, I would guess at the time he was around 80 years old, Um, still with us, great guy, wise guy. You never read about him in the newspaper. He just runs profitable radio stations, is fair, and does his thing. It's, you know, it's kind of what you would think would just be the kind of the standard way to handle the thing. Um, But, you know, that's how Bert operates. And so Bert and I talk, but for some reason there was a guy involved... um, with Sean Hayes, who you may have read about here. I'm sure some, plenty of you haven't, but he was alleged to be involved with Sean Hayes. uh, And I'm not even going to digress into that whole story, type his name in, and you'll see why that was an issue. Uh, And so that kind of screwed up the deal because he was supposedly involved in the deal. And then I said to Bert, I said, Bert, I've got the capital to do the deal from inside STL. How about you and I just get the deal done? And I'm telling you within, God, I remember him being, I remember Bert Kaufman, 80-something years old, sitting at the conference room table at Inside STL at 19th and Locust, Uh, his business partner, um, I don't recall, uh, my dad, who was our general sales manager, and of course, when it gets down to it, the reason for my career, uh, always have to say that, Uh, just to do the nepotism joke, but uh, he was our sales manager, and I don't know who else would have been there, probably attorneys. And we knocked the deal out like in a day. And the agreement was beginning, I think it may be August 1st, yeah, August 1st, 2013, because we were going to pay Bert uh, X amount of dollars for to own and operate his programming Monday through Friday, uh, not on the weekends, didn't think the weekends would make us money, uh, th- a certain fee per month. And I had to personally guarantee it smart on birds part, you know, I mean, my asshole can come in and say, yeah, I'll do it. And then all of a sudden don't have any money. So I'm personally guaranteed probably had to three pay three months up front, whatever. Uh, and we're going to do this deal. And we're going to start a new radio station essentially. I mean, we're certainly reprogramming it. It's going to become a new format. And when I look back on that, I think to myself, God, that was, that might've been irresponsible. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I shoved, I came back over the top of that guy preflop with pocket tens, and he could have had jacks or queens and called, and that would have been that. Or he could have had ace king, and I'm in a 50 50 spot. Uh, I apologize for the poker reference, but that's, I look back on it. My point being, I played it like I had aces, but when I look back on it, I didn't have aces. Now, I was confident that I would win when it was all said and done, but my God, to operate a radio station, that's a big undertaking. But I did whatever. I felt necessary to keep the show together because I believed in the show then, like I believe in the show now. And I wasn't going to let somebody who didn't know what they were doing, and as it turned out, wasn't exactly the most kind person, end uh, something that I knew, and a lot of our audience members knew was a unique thing in this market and had been going on for nine years. And that guy wasn't going to be the guy to put us in the ground. That guy wasn't going to be the guy. Not that guy. Not that guy. Uh, if we die of natural old age, then so be it. If we die because the audience goes, okay, boys, you've had enough. It's been 14 years, playtime's over. That's fine. But not that guy, not that guy. And, uh, and so we did the deal. My wife and I were the guarantors, which again, I look back on and go, what in the hell was I doing? Uh, nobody else. And there were times where it was lean, man. And I said to Anna Maria, I said, I can't pay us this week. I can't pay us this pay period. And I know I'm hosting the morning after and I'm the president of the radio station, but I can't fucking pay it. But I can't tell anybody that because then they're going to be like, oh, my God, this place is going to go out of business. But we grinded and we grinded and it uh, it wound up working out. And really, uh, I look at those three years uh, at 920 as some of the most peaceful and enjoyable uh, because we controlled our own destiny. We did things I'd like to think the right way. I'm sure there'd be some people who would say no. Uh, but if, if, if you were cut from the team, so to speak, there was a reason. It's never personal. Um, in most cases it was because the show just didn't deliver revenue. Very rarely was it behavioral. Um, but it was, it was a great run. And when I look back on it, signing the deal to do the deal, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was aggressive, but I didn't realize how, it was aggressive, how aggressive it was in the moment because it was, we're going to keep this show together and we're going to put this guy out of business. Uh, now, with that said, even if we didn't sign the deal and if I would have gone into a completely different field, 590 the man and 1380 the woman weren't going to work, uh, I think maybe we just played a role in expediting the process. Um, and so on, I don't recall, it was late June 2013, and I know the cat and Doug were out that day and we were doing the show from Ryan Kelly's office at the time it was in Clayton. And, um, the night before God, we had I mean, I'm telling, you, this is how quickly the thing moved. Dan Caesar keeps calling me, keeps calling me. I said, I'm going to have a whole story for you. Uh, but you just got to wait. You just got to wait. Cause I can't let it get out. Literally Bert and I signed the deal at the conference room table at inside STL And I get on the phone with Dan because it was important to get the word out of what we were doing. And I announce brand new radio station, new format on 920. Uh, I don't think at the time we had had the CBS Sports affiliation, but it would eventually become CBS Sports 920. And here uh, is what we've got. And the fact that not only the morning after was going to have a new home, but that Frank Cusimano was coming with us. I don't know if at the outset we announced that Joe Strauss and Brian Burwell uh, were coming with us. Uh, Charlie Marlowe, that show was a great show with Charlie running point with Burwell and Strauss um, and, uh, and announced our plans. Uh, and so that's in the paper on our final day at KFNS, all choreographed to be that way, uh, because who knows what would have happened if I would have announced it earlier. But seeing as how it played out that morning, good indication that it was the right play to wait until the final day. Um, And so we announce it and uh, Dan Marshall begins texting me saying he's going to sue me for talking about another radio station on the air. I'm going, okay, that's a that's, you know, love to know what your basis for that suit would be. I uh, text my attorney and say, hey, Marshall, I'm in the middle of the show, hosting the show while this is going on too, at Ryan Kelly's office with Rennie Knott and Charlie Marlowe co-hosting with me. Um, and, and our audience is just like so thrilled and they're so excited because they wanted this guy to be taken down and we had given them what they wanted. Well, they knew that we had, what was going to happen. Um, and um, Marshall obviously is beside himself. Because he knows he's got a, he already knows at this point he's a couple months in, he's got a problem on his hands. Now he's got a bigger problem on his hands, and he's texting me and saying, you know, if you don't stop talking about this, I'm going to have them turn the signal off. I mean, just like I mean, I t- recall texting my attorney, and I said, I really. And he goes, keep talking about it. It'll be funny if he turns it off. He goes, you're not doing anything wrong. I know your contract. You're not doing anything wrong. He can't do it. If he does does do it, he's breaching the contract. So let him do it. Keep talking about it. And I guess maybe especially knowing now, I mean, again, you you talk about these things in hindsight, so it's not necessarily fair. But knowing what I know now, I probably should have just kept talking about it because, you know, the guys, you know, especially knowing what he did the next few months to some good people and not making payroll and the stuff that went on, uh, he deserved it. Um, He deserved me to, to do a touchdown dance, so to speak, on where we had already dug out his grave for this business. Um, but just for the sake of just being like, you know what, we we're, we already have won. And if you don't think we've won, you know there's a good chance we're about to win. I don't really need to shove it in anybody's face and I'm not going to get into something where now there's coverage because because the, the coverage will make it look like I was somehow a bad guy and taunting. And I, I just want to make the announcement. It was already in the newspaper. Everything was done. It was signed. And, uh, and it was over. Uh, we left. That was that. Started the radio station a month later, um, and and the rest is history. We were there for three years, three years and a month, maybe August 13 to uh, we started at KFNs September 1st 2016. And without that experience, um, we would have never gotten to the situation that we got uh, at KFNs. So I'm glad that I did it. At times it was brutal. But we're in a better spot now because of the 590, the man, 1380, the woman than we were before that thing came to pass. So in a weird way, I'm grateful that it happened because it's a better situation now than it was. And it was a good situation then. It's better now. And I think all the attention on that uh, and our success exposed us and our show to more people, and then it brought more people on board. The fact that we won handily uh, made people, you know, and kind of viewed us as the the underdog going up against the, the, you know, the guy who was cocky coming in, and then, you know, he would call me names in the paper and on the air, and I'm just kind of like, oh, really? Okay, I'm not going to call you names. I'm not going to engage. We're focused on what we're doing at CBS Sports 920 and Inside STL. We wish them the best of luck. Everybody knows what it means. Um, I don't need to say it. Um, and I suppose the, um, the ultimate justice, if you will, not that I needed it, was almost a year to the day, almost a year to the day of my announcement of the creation of CBS Sports 920, which was in late June, 2013, Dan Marshall called me, um, hat in hand as they say and invited me to go to dinner with him another business partner his wife bring my wife uh and he was going to buy me dinner and try and sell me kfns and so we had dinner polite you know i mean some people are like god how could you have dinner with that guy after all the things he said about it, just whatever it's business and you know if I'm going to n- not talk to everybody who has bad me, I'm going to be sitting in solitary. Uh, so, you know, I, I had dinner with him. He made his case. Uh, his his position was he wanted to see it remain a sports station. Um, my opinion that that was uh, a bluff and that he needed somebody to buy it. And as time played out, uh, that certainly is what appears to have been the case, because uh, I don't think Dan Marshall is looking to do me any favors. Uh, and, and at some point, he must have said, uh, I wonder if I could find this text. This is one text that I'll pull. He must have said, uh, he must have told his partners that he had sold it to me, which never even came close to happening, uh, because I recall, let's see if I got it. Uh, I wonder what these texts were said. Well. Wow. Uh, that uh, I got a congratulations from one of the main partners there, uh, that, uh, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know why somebody told you that I bought it. Cause I'm not even interested, but I guess that's what's going on because I think there was some dissension among the ranks there, but it was amusing to me that after all of that, um, he had to come back to me and say, will you buy the radio station from me? Never apologized. And, I, and in a way, honestly, I is, even though I know it wasn't done, even though I know uh, I, I know that it wasn't done with this, this thought process. he just didn't apologize probably because he didn't even think he did anything wrong, uh, or because it's just not in his uh, makeup to do it. But if he would have apologized, it would have been a very hollow apology. It would have been an apology to God, God please buy this radio station. So I'll apologize. And therefore it would have been half-hearted. It wouldn't have been like in the middle of everything and going, you know what? I know that I did some things that were wrong to whether it be you or to the people who worked with you and treated people poorly, you know, that would have been a legitimate apology. Uh, This was, um, this, this was, you know, that, that, that's not what happened and it's fine. We had dinner and it was a fine dinner. I remember I was heading out to Las Vegas, the world series of poker, had a good conversation. honestly. you know, I just, I, people, people talk more about the man and woman thing than I think we think about the man and woman thing and we lived through. But if people are fascinated by it, Hey, I'm happy to talk about it. I, I, I want to leave, uh, you know, certain details out of it that I think would be, you know, considered, uh, private or financial or whatever the case might be. So obviously I'm not naming dollar figures or anything like that, but, uh, as far as what went on and how it all played out and why it all played out, there it is. Obviously, you can't encapsulate that in one newspaper column, um, but that's what happened. And, and while it was going on to be hosting the show and then also negotiating a deal to get your next radio station, which, you know, we're going to have to operate, uh, that, was a, that was a very difficult time uh, in the sense of how challenging it was. But like I said, doing it, now lets us know that we can do it. We have done it. Uh, Other places are aware that we have done it and we have the infrastructure uh, to do it. And that's a source of pride um, because a really good group of people uh, built that thing and worked their asses off on it. And and that that I leave there, and even though I know Bert Kaufman was disappointed, we left. Uh, We had a good relationship personally and professionally. Uh, when we still do have a good relationship, uh, you know, I think it was, we, we have, I mean, he was quoted in the newspaper as saying, you know, what they built was a very good thing and we want to try to continue that. And that's a great compliment when you can kind of walk away. I remember when we left uh, 1380 when it was owned by Simmons media. And I guess that would have been 2010 Craig Hanson, who's a very well-respected radio CO, CEO, cause we love those guys. We wish we could still have them. They conducted themselves professionally uh and that's the way the the ownership at 1380 handled things again that's simmons media and that's the way the ownership at 920 handled things and those are professionals those are radio professionals and they don't you know get in fights in the hallway with talent and you know say stuff in the newspaper where you go what in the world you know i mean that's that's what that's what we lived through during that time or have Bubba the love sponge call and harass your show and the fact that this shit went on for us, it's like we've dealt with so much of it that it's like, yeah, that one. And then you tell somebody, like, this story, and they go, oh, my God. But for us, and then for many of you listening to it, you're like, yeah, this is what goes on. And you go, it doesn't have to be this way. And I get that Dan Caesar frames it like another wild and wacky year in St. Louis Sports Radio, but I always say to him, and I've said it to him on the phone a number of times and in person, Jim Hayes, Doug Vaughn, Martin Kilcoin. Charlie Marlowe, Frank Cusimano at the time, Joe Strauss, Brian Burwell. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm, and, and, well, I'll, I'll name people at one oh one Bernie Nicholas, Kevin Wheeler, uh, Anthony Stalter, Chris Duncan, Randy Carricker, Brad Thompson at the time, DeMarco Farr. I mean, these, who there has anybody where you go, oh yeah, that person's a you know, has some issues, whether it be on the air or off the air. It's just not, the, it's not, that's not how it, how it works. But, unfortunately we all get lumped into this basket of like, it's just, and it's not, I mean, the guys come in and they do their show and then they go on. And many people have to either go to the post dispatch or go to, yeah, I left out Derek Gould and Rick Hummel and, you know, uh, other people who were part of the station at the time, the names I'm listing here. And, and it gets, it gets lumped in, uh, partially because you've had some people, even going back to like you know the guys who came in from Atlanta who come in and then they say things, and then it sets a tone that you know understandably people are going to cover it because it becomes braggadocious, and then when you don't deliver it, then Dan Caesar's on it, and then he's calling you on it, and it becomes a whole thing, uh, and it and uh, and that's what happened there with uh, Dan Marshall and the five ninety the man thirteen eighty the woman thing, so it was. It Truly, living it, it was brutal. I can tell you that. Living it, it was brutal. But now that we're five years removed from it, I'm very glad that it happened. Um, And it's obviously amusing uh, when you look back on it. Um, So the 590, the man, 1380, the woman chapter will live in infamy in St. Louis radio history. You thought you knew... But now you know a hell of a lot more detail on that whole, that whole, that whole, how about that whole, that whole deal, uh, the era that was, and I think it lasted a year, I think is what it lasted, if I'm not mistaken. So there it is, 590 the man, 1380 the woman, from our perspective. I hope you enjoyed the walk down, well, for me it was memory lane, for you it was like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me that this shit went on, podcast, but there it was. Questions from the audience, always Welcoming your questions, Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com or pose your query on the fan page, the TMA fan page on Facebook. Thank you to TheHomeLoanExpert.com, Ryan Kelly. Thank you to James Carlton. And thank you to Johnny Landoff Chevrolet for their support of the podcast. For John Seymour, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of The Tim McKernan Show on the InsideSTL Podcast Network from the HomeloneExpert.com studios.